0: Listener Production.
1: Hello and welcome to Keeping Good Company, the podcast helping you build business success through culture and leadership. Tanya Deans, President of Haines Australia, is with us in the studio today to chat about leadership expectations. And to help us do that, we have the fantastic Corinne Cantor from Human Synergistics. So let's get started.
2: Welcome, Corinne. Thank you, Jess. Um, nice to be here and good to be talking about leadership expectations. It was a topic that we felt is so important to how effective organisations are leaders sometimes lose perspective on what their real job is. So they're the people in charge, but they're really responsible for the people in their charge. And so with so many demands on leaders today, we felt it was really important to have a really clear idea of how to set leaders up for success and be really clear about the kind of expectations that promotes effectiveness. And
1: we have a remarkable leader with us here today, we have the president of Haines Brands Australasia, Tanya Deans. Tanya, I'm so excited to talk to you because do you know what? I'm wearing your brands. I have my Bonds undies on. I've got my bra from Bras and Things on. And I think I probably slept in Sheridan Sheets last night.
0: <laughs> That's great to hear, Jess. Good taste. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a
0: job you have.
1: That's an enormous role.
0: Yeah, it is a it is a pretty big role. It's incredibly diverse and dynamic, particularly at the moment. It's very, very dynamic. But I'm really fortunate to have an amazing group of people around me, which is incredibly important to great leadership. So a great team of people around me. And, you know, I have fun every day, which is awesome. I think that's the
1: key, isn't it, to have fun. You have to find joy in what you do, don't you?
0: Yeah, you absolutely do. I mean, I think it's so much, so much of your life is dedicated to your career. And, you know, I have the privilege of working with some of Australia's most loved brands, as you've pointed out. And underneath those brands is a spirit of fun and adventure and innovation and all the wonderful things that really motivate me every day. So what motivates you to be a good leader? It's probably evolved over time, but Ultimately, you know I want to be a great leader because, sure, I want to deliver amazing results for the business. That underpins it. But more important than that is just my ability to kind of influence the lives of the people that are around me, um particularly younger people, younger women who are coming up through the ranks to really sort of establish for them that your working life should be motivating. You should be sort of nurtured and supported, and that sort of whole, sort of the old concept of leadership, which was treat them mean, keep them keen, just doesn't have a place anymore. And so I think the motivation really comes from seeing amazing talent and amazing potential, uh, more importantly, really starting to to sort of blossom and and those people kind of finding their feet. And that's becoming more and more important as I'm getting older, of course, because I want to I wanna leave a, a, a good legacy for that next generation of people. Corinne, Tanya talks there about legacy, but she also talks about leadership
1: in a very refreshing, I think, modern way.
2: Yeah, when Tanya and you were saying that that old sort of phrase of treat and mean, keep and keen – I don't think it ever worked, you know, and I I think we knew that for a long time. We've known that. What I really love about the Haynes approach with leadership, and I think we're seeing more and more, is that it's really about developing the whole person. And it's really about understanding that a leader is more than what they know. And a leader is more than the results that they produce. And in fact... The best results are gained by creating an environment where people flourish and they can bring all of themselves, you know, the diversity and create a sense of inclusion. And I think that that's what Haynes has been really effective in doing is creating a whole person, a leader who really cares about creating a constructive environment.
1: So Tanya, how do you do that though? How do you make an environment? create a culture for people to feel, yes, I'm appreciated, I can flourish here, I can be me?
0: I think the first thing we've done is really embraced and encouraged the notion of authentic leadership. And so, you know, it's really important that we recognise that people are, at the end of the day, human beings and they won't have all the answers. We try and really encourage that through all the levels of the organisation, that it's okay to say, actually, I don't know what to do in this instance, or I'm unsure, or I think I need to get some other help around me. So the, the concept of authenticity is is really, really important and one that we um, embrace. I think when we started on our journey of constructive leadership, we we also recognized that it needed to come from the top down. And so we spent probably two or three years really training our most senior leaders in constructive leadership. and that sort of enabled I guess the teams to start to see it role modeled. It was a journey. Some people they were sort of more of an aggressive type of leader, if I can call them that. and then they went on this sort of full circle journey and and sort of went into this kind of passive place because they thought that was what it meant to be a constructive leader and and sort of realized wow that's that's not useful either. think we spent two or three years really kind of engaging that top level and then we started to cascade it down. So I think that is a really important place to be, um, to be successful through this sort of leadership journey. And then we sort of bolted around that, the work that we've started to do on culture and that really started with articulating what was the purpose of the organisation apart from Getting out of bed and making money every day. What was the purpose? What were we there for? You know, those higher order reasons for the organization to exist. It didn't finish the job because it's an ongoing journey, right? But it sort of put all the jigsaw puzzles into place so people understood purpose they saw constructive leadership being role modelled from the top and then they started on their own journey. And then sort of, I guess, underpinning all of that is this notion of just being authentic on that journey as well. That word authentic, Corinne, Mm. I know is
1: something that's very close to your heart, isn't it?
2: Mm. Very much. And the other word that's close to my heart is the constructive leadership. And I think that People can sometimes go, when they don't understand it, they go to nice, they go to warm and fuzzy and often warm and fuzzy is used as a way of putting it down. So when you're talking to a leader who's constructive, they're clear, they know what outcomes are required and they're interested in helping people take responsibility. They're comfortable in their skin so they can call out behaviour that's not okay. And they do. So they don't walk past something that's not okay. In our research, what we've found and often the journey for our clients is that once they really get what it means to be constructive and to be authentic, to be visible and true to who you are, you're setting a higher standard. It actually requires more discipline. It's easier to get angry at somebody. It's easier to, you know, micromanage. It's easier to avoid issues. It's much harder. It's a high level of standard to be constructive because you're asking so much more of yourself. You're asking yourself to park your ego. You're asking yourself to take perspective and to be cognizant and conscious of the results that you have to deliver, but don't let them hijack the importance of building people and collaborating with them in order to deliver it. And I think one of the things that I, I love about the Haynes story is that it's a high-performing organisation. The results are great and yet it hasn't compromised its approach to how they work with people. This focus on authenticity has been years in the making. So it's not once once and done. It's not just lip service, is it? No, it's I'm- not just saying we are an authentic organisation and let's
1: get on with, with business. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly exactly I'm interested, Tanya in how you've changed as a leader. Mm. Have you found that there's things you've had to take on board and listen and think actually I didn't
0: perhaps handle that the right way. this is how I've had to grow oh, I, i've I've been through yeah quite a journey there's a metaphor that we like to use in our business, and that is you know kind of replaying the movie in the moment and we talk about this a lot at Haynes. It's this active kind of focus that you have to bring it. It is quite exhausting until you start to develop a little bit of muscle memory. You are having to think all the time without overthinking. There's There's been plenty of times when there's something that's come out of my mouth, either, you know, a kind of uh, aggressive or confrontational response or a passive response where I've, where I've in that moment gone, ah, oh, that's, Probably not the way. and but that's okay. Again, I think we really try and encourage people to sort of recognize that and say, actually, just scrap that last response. it was it was probably not the right one. Let me seek to understand your perspective a little bit more. Um and you know one of the tools that you know Karina's has taught us and and we've learned through the journey is you know the power of just constantly, asking questions. It's a great technique to have when you you feel that visceral response in yourself. And I've had so many examples of that. I mean, I probably started this journey being a little bit more on the passive side. You know, if there was something that was really kind of a sort of nasty brewing, I'd sort of duck for cover. Not all leaders will do that. Some will run towards it, right? So I'd duck for cover. And now, you know, I've really sort of Tried to teach myself that that is, as Corinne said, that's not a useful response, and you won't get the best out of people, and you certainly won't resolve the situation. And so I've learnt this sort of technique around asking lots of questions, but trying to lean into it. You know, using a bit of a phrase that's tossed around these days, but lean into it more than I would have normally done a few years ago. And that's and that's you know served me well because I see those people around me who are probably of the same up from the same cloth as me, I've seen them do much more of that leaning in thing. So you're modelling behaviour. So people are seeing what you're doing as a leader and then
1: taking that on board themselves. And I imagine, Corinne, that's something that's so important, isn't it?
2: I can't even tell you how critical it is. It's really up there in terms of creating high performance and a constructive culture because Often leaders have to go out there and talk about what's important to the organisation and, you know, there's all this rhetoric. Now, it stays rhetoric unless the leader models the behaviour. We have to show people the way, not just through what we say, but in how we show up. People want to see congruence and I think we've talked about this before, Jess, where I think that people don't expect their leaders to be perfect. They just want them to be congruent and consistent. So if you say that honesty is important as a leader, if you're out there saying it's important, then I expect you to be honest. You know, if you say that teamwork is important, then I expect you to show me the value that you put on that in your behaviour. Role modelling is critical because it's how we learn as children We watch what our parents and what our brothers and sisters and our friends and family do. It's such a critical way that we learn how to show up in life. It's no different in an organisation. Leaders have got to be role modelling what they say is important. And you know what, even if you don't get it right, I think you lean into those moments. We talk about hitting the pause button and replaying the movie in the moment. But, you know, it's okay to repair. I've been in that moment too where I've said something and I just thought, oh, and then I've actually left the room and I've come back. So I think we've got to get leaders comfortable with this idea of repairing. You know, that's okay. You don't look weak if you come back and say, scrap that, let's do it again.
1: And I think too, listening to you describe it in that way, Corinne, I think it's brave. To me, I think that's really brave leadership to admit, you know what, oh, perhaps I didn't phrase that the right way, Tanya, as you mentioned, or perhaps I could have done that better. And I think people respect you more for that.
0: They absolutely do. And the way in which you see that respect is when you see them starting to emulate, they've got to do it their way, right? It can't it can't feel awkward. But when you start to see them emulate that behaviour, then you then you know that you're, you know, starting to have that really positive impact and it really is kind of sinking in. And I've seen some incredibly um, out there leaders in my time that have, have really changed, I guess, their approach quite dramatic. I've seen some pretty dramatic swings through the, the journey that we've had. So, you know, that to me is a testimony that, you know, it matters and they're noticing. Of course it matters. And and let's talk about your
1: leadership progression. You've been with Haines for a long time and over that time the brands have changed, you've changed, you've
0: had to sort of reinvent brands. How do you do that? I think the first thing you've got to do is you seek to understand the current market, the team, the brand situation. You, you, there's a lot of data that you've got to collect. But then I think through that process is setting that very clear vision of where you want to to be and the destination you want to arrive at. That's the sort of starting point. And then you start to kind of map those pathways. Those brand reinventions that we've done, never an easy thing to do. And they do take time. And there's, you know, there's loops in that journey. It's never, it's never a straight line. But I think really kind of sticking to that that vision is is really, really important. Being open to sort of adjusting it along the way. Finding your allies, I think, is the next really important thing to do is finding those like-minded people who really kind of see that that vision and that potential with you and really sort of leveraging those allies um hard because it creates that snowball, that momentum. I think what's really important in leadership these days is just that ability to be adaptable. So I think if you, you need to set a really clear destination, if you like, but the plan has to be flexible because there are no end of things that will come at us. Look at the last two years, you know, that completely threw every sort of pathway off the table. So I think being uh, adaptable to the conditions, finding your allies, setting that clear goal, and then being quite sort of relentless around it, that that clear goal also is a great is a great tool in itself to be able to um, sort of weed out the lack of alignment that sometimes you have. So when you're making decisions and somebody's got a very different point of view, what we always do with, you know, I guess our brand vision and purpose and our overarching Haynes brand vision and purpose is use that as the benchmark to go. Okay, let's think about it in light of the purpose or the end goal that we're trying to achieve, is that really important? Is it not important? Does it align? Does it not align? Again, those tools are really sort of really valuable in sort of getting teams, you know, on the pathway, on on the right pathway, and you'll eventually get there. But you've got to be adaptable and you've got to be realistic. Things happen. Oh, they do. They definitely happen. Corinne, Tanya raises some really valid
1: points there that really, I think, are the keys to being a good leader.
2: Mmm, so many good points there. I think um, what Tanya's described is shared goal and shared meaning. One of the things that we we have done in the past with leaders, we've recruited people who know a lot and who get results and it's very job-oriented. And so when they come into the role as leader, what they kind of effectively use is use their people as hands, you know, like just do what the way I did it. What's important is for leadership, it's not so much what you know, because you're no longer in charge of delivering that job. Somebody else is. You're responsible for them. And so a leader's job now becomes creating and building a team. So how do you do that? You have a shared vision. You make it really clear what it is that we're going to set as a goal, because if you've got a clear goal, then people know how to direct their energy, time and effort. And I think That is super important. Without that, it's very difficult for anybody in a team to understand how to direct their effort and to make it worthwhile. The other thing that I think is really important about it is that agility, the ability to say, okay, well, we had this planned, we experimented, didn't work, so we're going to pivot and we're going to do it quite quickly. And, of course, what happens with organisations sometimes and with leaders, we get stuck in the way that we've always done things And so it takes us a while to recognise that it's time to change. I think the last two years has made everybody better at understanding it's time to change and how to pivot, but the ability to be agile. In order to be agile as a leader, we've got to be in touch with what our customers need, what's their concern, where do they need us most.
1: What I'd like to pick up from Kareem, what you were talking there, is is the agility and, and the changing the vision and responding to consumers. Because I think, Tanya, that's something that Haynes has done incredibly well. I think too about bonds, bras and things, and that imagery when I'm walking in the shopping centers and going, Oh, I love that there's different shapes and sizes and backgrounds and everything. You know, there's something for everyone, very different
0: to how that those brands began, yeah, totally different. I, I think about Bonds, you know, very kind of iconic but very male orientated brand, bras and things, you know, kind of this of sexy stereotypical type of brand. And we saw that, you know, that next generation with very different attitudes, millennials and Gen Z, very different attitudes. And we just knew that if we didn't change, that we were going to be in trouble. And so. Again, talking about sort of, you know, your your vision and your purpose. We set a new vision and purpose for each of those brands and and said, okay, what does that mean by way of the consumer touch points? And we really created a, I guess, a framework of, you know, this is who we wanted to be, you know, as those brands. And it extends, you know, beyond those two brands as well. This is what those brands need to represent. And, and, and these are the guardrails around um, what we were going to do. And we needed to be more than just sitting on the fence. We needed to really make a real statement in that space. So, you know, Bras and Things have done an amazing job in terms of particularly size inclusivity and diversity. That's, that's been a very big shift for them. Was uh, that hard to do? It, it wasn't actually, it wasn't particularly hard because we had such great engagement from the team. Again, we've got a lot of millennials and, you know, emerging Gen Zers in the team, a lot of women. And they told us that that is exactly what they expected to see. We got lots of feedback from our customers as well. So it wasn't hard to do. What's more difficult through the, I guess, the product development process is that you also, you can't just say it in your marketing, your product's got to reflect that as well. And so that takes more time because you've got lead times and all the things that go with bringing product, physical product to market. And we're still on that journey of really making sure that what you see in the comms is what you got and what your experience is in your stores as well or on online. So, you know, when somebody walks into our stores, they should feel welcome regardless of who they are, you know, what their background is, what their size is, what their age is, you need to feel welcome. And it takes time to cascade that kind of training and that philosophy through the business. But again, anchored through a really, really strong kind of statement around what our purpose was and what our vision was. And similarly, you know, Bonds has been on a, a longer journey where this is concerned. It's probably started here before most of our other brands. And, you know, most recently has done a lot of work in terms of, particularly in Pride just recently, you know, they've done this program called Ungenderwear where we're really starting to kind of challenge what it is to have gender-based ranges. And again, we see that as our sort of obligation as a big brand, you know, a big Australian brand and, you know, a big clothing brand that, you know, is in most wardrobes around the country. We have an obligation to really kind of evolve our thinking and do more than sit on the fence actually start to have a, a point of view, whether it's politics or government, you know, not doing enough, you know, businesses have to step up now and do a whole lot more in that space.
1: I get goosebumps hearing you speak that way, that you're trailblazing in such an important, feasible way. And I think for so many people, it's to be seen. You can't be what you can't see. And so I, th- that notion of what you're doing, or not even notion, what Bonds is
0: doing, I think it's just brilliant, Tanya. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, Jess. It's been exciting. It's, ha- it's hard. These things are really hard to do, you know, particularly where you're you're stepping into territory that is largely untrodden. That's more, much more difficult, but it's just so rewarding. We have a purpose at HAA, which we sort of say it's creating the fabric of a better life for people and planet. And if we're going to live that, then we have to find every route to really kind of, bring that to life and demonstrate that not only for our team, our people, but our consumers and all of the other um, stakeholders that sit around us. Oh, Corinne, I can see you. We're both smiling I and know. nodding going,
2: yes. I'm moving in my chair. I, You know, I just think that the clarity that comes with that vision that, that gets you to look beyond what we know. So when you were just saying this gendered underwear, I thought, we buy our things in these boxes, and where did that come from? So I think you know what I love about that example is the trailblazing, but that's what great companies do. They look at a need and then they take it another level. and they get us as consumers and you know people in the community to think differently, they challenge us. So it is exciting, and I think it must be so it must be so rewarding back to the people in the company. You can see the fruits of their labour creating something completely new. Yeah, totally.
0: And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it takes time, you know, it's a long journey and it's bit by bit, but you know, the other thing I think you have to celebrate the small wins. So, you, you know, even getting that engagement from the team around that ungenderware, that's a small win, getting everybody on the same page. And then you, you know, you step forward and you celebrate that step forward. Very, very important. It feels, feels like you've got sort of forward, forward momentum all the time. And for you being a good leader, are they the moments that you take a step back and think, yes, this is what it's about. This is why I'm doing it? Yeah, totally. I, I, you know, that that word legacy, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, because these aren't my ideas, right? These are ideas that are bubbling up from the team. But as a, as a leader, you know, you help enable it. As Corinne said, you don't have all the solutions, you help enable it. So, I guess in encouraging that and supporting it and enabling it and encouraging that thinking and that trailblazing, I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking. Yeah, well, that's a that's a that's an amazing legacy to leave to the group of kids that are coming up that shouldn't have to be confronted with some of the things that we we all had to you know confront when we were younger. Um, it's exciting that some of that can go. Oh, it is. It
1: it really is. I've heard you speak previously about your style
0: of leadership. You say that you're an extrovert. Is that still the case? It's probably less the case. And look, extrovert, introvert, they're funny words, aren't they? But I've found that what I have switched on more, um, the more senior I've gone in the organisation and the more mature I get, is just the power of listening and stepping back and just, as I said before, enabling the ideas to bubble up and working out when is the right time to step in. So there is time to be an introvert and there's time to be an extrovert. There's time to, sometimes it's okay to sit back and just go quiet because you're just reflecting on what's going on. And I think, again, provided you're giving people that context around what you're doing, if you're if you're appearing as though you're quiet, you're not going passive on them. I'm, I'm just sitting back and I'm just sort of absorbing what's going on here. But yeah, I sort of, I try and balance a little bit, the extrovert and introvert these days.
1: Because I think, Corinne, listening to Tanya there, I have this sort of idea that being a good leader, you've got to be the extrovert. You've got to be sort of always out there talking to people, bringing people along. But it's more than that, isn't it? And I think that key is, is listening, listening to your team, listening to people.
2: Yeah. I agree. I think that there's a lot that comes from leaders who are quiet and who are understated, who don't need to be the hero solving every single problem. And in fact, I think a lot of the skill of leadership is knowing how and when to step back, not being the person who's at the front. I think leaders have to be at the front when it's kind of dangerous and scary. And they need to know when to step back to allow people to grow, to move forward. I always think that is the Kenny Rogers, you've got to know when to hold, you know, know when to hold. <laughs> it's a great life philosophy. It is, you know, and I think that that's what's important for leaders. And so many of the leaders that we work with settle into a habit, and it's either leading from the front all the time or it's leading from the back. And what we talk to them about is you've got to be you. And maybe you haven't discovered all of you. You know a part of you. There might be a whole other part of you. If you're an introvert, you may never be comfortable with the big auditorium and lots of people with a spotlight just on you. You may never be comfortable with that. It doesn't mean that you can't do some version of it. And so it's really helping leaders to discover what else is in there. If you help leaders to understand that, they are so much more than who they are right now. They start being curious and they start to look for that and they start to experiment. And so I think, you know, leaders do change and I think the extroversion can sometimes, maybe you've done a little bit of damage in putting pressure on leaders who don't identify with that and so they feel that they're not a good enough leader it's important for leaders to be able to speak up, to dial up extroversion and to dial up introversion or, or even, you know, dial up quiet. You've got to be able to do all of those things. We aren't just one thing. And I think that that is something that I'd really love leaders to understand. It's such a good point that you make because we're all we're complex human
1: beings and we have all sorts of different skills that we can bring to the fore at different times. And I think to be open to that, to then use that word that we've been talking a bit about, you know, lean into different qualities, even though it might make you uncomfortable to begin with. Of course, what I feel we need to talk about too, Tanya, is being a woman in leadership. And there's a part of me that gets frustrated because I think if if I'm chatting with a bloke, I don't say, well, how do you balance it and all of those sorts of things. It's, you know, I know that we'll be there when I don't have to ask you those sorts of questions. But you're a mum. You've also got, I think, some furry and some scaly friends <laughs> in your family. And, and and I wonder, you know, having also I've got a family myself and there are times when I feel like, yes, I'm nailing this other times and it all falls apart around me. Are there some pieces of
0: advice that you could offer some other women and men too? Yeah, I think that's also important. Look, I think the point you make, Jess, is that it's okay. You're not going to get it right all the time. You're not probably going to get it right most of the time, right? But I got a piece of advice actually, you know, a number of years ago from another woman who was kind of very senior and probably back in those days that was even even more of a remarkable thing and she said when you are in the office whatever in the office is whether that's working from home or when you're in that sort of work context give your work 100% of your time and then when you're in your home context and this is all very blurry as we know these days give that 100% of your time. The, the two don't blend very well, and that was my experience, but just be, when you're, when you're with your kids or your partner or whatever, just be 100% there. And then when you work, work being 100% there, there's so much pressure on us as females to keep all of it together. And the fact is, is that we're not going to keep all of it together um, at times. And, you know, I think Jess, you're an amazing role model in that regard because, you know, you're real. I think also sort of this concept of burning crazy hours to make it all happen, it'll result in one thing and that's in you getting unwell and whatever unwell looks like, It, you know, you will crumble as a result of that. So, you know, I try and carve out time for me Getting in and amongst nature is really important just to sort of level myself. um, And I try and do that whenever I can. And just not being afraid to ask for help and lean on people. I think asking for help is often the greatest gift you can give to somebody else because generally people are really keen to support you or help you out much more than I think, particularly women, like to think. So asking for help is okay. And I've done it a few times. It's essential. I think,
1: though, as women, don't want to generalise, but in my case, I put so much pressure, or I used to put a lot of pressure on on my shoulders and think, oh, no, I can't ask for help because I have to be seen to have it all together all the time. But none of us do. And, of course, by reaching out to ask for help, it then gives other people permission too to say, oh, she needs some help. It's okay that I need some help as well. We We all need that at different times.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I think it's probably one of the things that leaders do is that you, you know, they try and position themselves as superhuman. And sometimes it's also really good as a leader amongst your team to go, you know, I've got some crappy stuff that's going on for me right now. It doesn't need to be to everybody, but it can be to a select group of people. I've got some crappy stuff going on for me at the moment. And I just need, I just need some space or I just need, you know, just a little bit of extra compassion, perhaps, and understanding. Yeah, totally.
1: I think that's really important. Compassion and understanding in life and obviously in your workplace, because I, I know in my case that that's helped enormously with I can still be my best if people are aware of what else is
0: happening. Exactly. Context is everything.
1: And also, again, Corinne, don't you think it gives people permission to also perhaps put their hand up and say, well, today I'm not at my best or I might have to go and do this?
2: Yeah. I want, want to really call out this word of compassion. It's really important to have self-compassion. And one of the things that we try and do when we try and do be all things to all people, I think we tell ourselves this story that we have to do this. I have to do this. I can't do this. I don't have a choice. I have to keep going. And so that big burden that we're carrying gets heavy and heavy. And I think the risk with that is that you don't realise you're nearly going to collapse. And what happens is we carry, 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 and then we get burnout. And it's just because there's a little voice inside you that's been saying, "Uh, hello, help me. I need some help. But because we feel we've got to be this all things to all people, we ignore it. And so what happens is you ignore that little voice and the energy that you need for creativity and refreshing and all the love you want to give to your family gets taken up by uh, long hours and you get tired. And eventually your creative energy goes and then the energy comes from your body. And then that's when your health starts to go as well. So I think the antidote to that is to really pay attention to what's happening for you and have some compassion for yourself. If you don't have compassion for yourself, you can't ask for help. You can't even realise that you need it. So I think that's really important for leaders is to, to cut themselves some slack. If you try and do everything yourself, that's an opportunity that you've not provided to somebody else. Or oh, you're a wise woman. Mm. Do you you
1: think I could? Could I take you home with me, Corinne, and just have you in my cupboard? And I open up my cupboard and I say, What should I do now? (laughs)
0: Let's put her in two, shall we?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. Self compassion. That is such an important thing for all of us to think about. And when you talk about. Tapping into that voice, that inner voice, I can think about a time in my career when I left full-time television, I was doing a job that I loved, but I got to a point after five years where I was running on empty and I really had to listen to what my my heart was telling me and that was to step back and to make some different choices and I'm so glad I did that, even though it's hard, Mm. I mean it's hard to make those sorts of choices, but for me, It was one of the best things that I've ever done. And I think too, Tanya, those difficult decisions, I'm sure, are what make you the leader that you are.
0: Yeah, I I think so. I, I, um, I think the other thing that I'd also say about when you push yourself, you know, to that brink, to that burnout phase, is when you are stressed, you go back to your default leadership type if you happen to be a kind of more of a passive type of leader or a kind of a roaring at the top of your voice leader, you can do all the work in the world around being constructive. But when you are under stress, most people will start to go back to that original type. And then that's when it actually becomes more than your issue. It becomes everybody's issue around you. So I think that's when it's really important to go radio out. I need to step away and recharge or do whatever it is, whether it's a short thing or whether it's a long thing, a temporary thing, a permanent thing, you've got to gotta listen to it. And there's so many body signals that I think we've got, we've learned to ignore. I don't know what it is, but there are times when I, I'm sort of not feeling particularly well. And, you know, suddenly three weeks later, it just, I go, okay, something's, my body's telling me something here that I have to sort of listen to. So even just those physical things as well, like just listen out for them because, they're telling you a story. It's that little voice. I could talk to both of you for days,
1: but we are sort of coming to an end of our chat. And where I'd like to leave it, Tanya, is thinking about, you've spoken a lot about your evolution as a leader, how you've changed what you've listened to. What's
0: ahead? What would you like to be doing in the future? I've still got a lot to do at Haynes, so I'd, I'd like to really sort of bring to life some of the things that really are at the heart of our that purpose that I talked about, so more of that. And for me, it's probably the second thing that I want to do is really start to unlock the potential in some of the incredible women and young women that are coming up behind me and really help sort of nurture and, and develop them. Uh, and then at some point in time, you know, just I, you know, it'd be good to stop and smell the roses. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what, that, what those roses look like, to be honest, but uh, that'll, that'll be something that I'll sort of, uh, I guess I'll work out over the next, uh, the next few years. But certainly that's a legacy for, for young, young women in leadership, really start to kind of support them to believe in themselves and, you know, realise their, realize their dreams. And I have a lot of those conversations with them when they go, you tell me what, well, you know, like what was your career? Like? Well, when you were in my position, like, you know, what, what were you thinking and what should I do now? And, you know, one of the first things I sort of say is just because there's, there's always a reason why they don't want to do stuff. You know, they don't think they can do stuff and sort of, you know, the first thing I say to them is why not? That is, I, I adore why not. If people
1: say, well, why would you do that? And I go, well, Why not? It has been an absolute joy, Tanya, to talk with you, to get some of your story. Corinne, what a chat we've had about leadership. Perhaps there's something you'd like to to conclude on as well.
2: I don't think I can finish on anything better than why not. I think why not? One of my favourite sayings is take it seriously, hold it lightly. Corinne and Tanya, thank you so very
1: much for talking with me. I've absolutely had a ball. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Keeping Good Company. The next episode will be our last, can you believe it? And we have a very special guest joining us, Captain Paul Mogger, who most recently served as Director of Navy Leadership and Culture Development within Navy People Branch. We're talking leadership in action this podcast is a listener production, brought to you in partnership with Human Synergistics, hosted by me, Jess Rowe, produced by Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens with audio production by Kelly Falston. Listener